Right, so now we come in this first Sunday of Advent, we're starting a series in Luke. Uh, the first two chapters of Luke is titled Advent According to Luke. So we begin with the first story in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. So please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. So this is Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Hear now the eternal living word of God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you. And to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. So, as we enter this Advent season, and we look at this opening story in Luke's Gospel, Let's begin by putting ourselves in the shoes of the people of Israel at that time. It had been about 2,000 years since the life of Abraham and the promises God had made to him. 
it had been about 1,500 years since the life of Moses when the law was given. It had been about 1,000 years since the life of David and God's promise to him that one of his descendants would reign on his throne forever. But David's kingdom was split because of Solomon's sin. And then because of the repeated sin of the people of Israel, God punished them by allowing their enemies to take them into captivity, both Babylon and Assyria. But then they had returned, but this was over 500 years before this, and they rebuilt the temple. But this second temple paled in comparison. It was nothing compared to the temple that Solomon had built. And still there was no descendant of David on the throne of Israel. So many had given up waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And as we read, this was the time of Herod as the king. And there were some within Israel that started to support Herod politically. They were called the Herodians. They seemed to think that God had abandoned Israel, so supporting Herod was the practical choice for them. Then there had risen these certain theological groups that obtained political powers themselves. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were prominent. And all this took place while they were living under Roman oppression. So many had given up hope that God would deliver them from their political oppression. It looked that God had forsaken them and that to them they felt that he wasn't going to fulfill his promises. But there was a pious remnant. There were those that remained faithful to God. And they waited with hope for God to fulfill what he had promised many, many years before. But many of those had expectation that God's promised Messiah would come and overthrow their political oppressors. And this Messiah would usher in an era of the new king from the line of David, as was promised sitting on the throne, ruling his people, but they expected to return to the heights of the kingdom of Israel that they saw under David and Solomon. But God's grace comes in unexpected ways. God's timing and his methods are never what we would expect. They were never what we would do in his shoes. And so this morning, we'll see the beginning of God's grace coming in a way that no one expected. And we'll look at three gracious acts of God in our passage. God's grace in unexpected blessings, God's grace in granting repentance, and God's grace in disciplining his children. An interesting thing about the Gospels in the New Testament is how much they make of John the Baptist. The story of Jesus doesn't even begin with Jesus. It begins with John. John's ministry is inextricably linked to the ministry of Jesus. God had proclaimed through the prophets that before his Messiah came, there would be a messenger to prepare the way. There's a famous boxing announcer. Some of you may know of him. His name's Michael Buffer. He's the let's get ready to rumble guy. This is his whole claim to fame. He made millions of dollars and he's famous all over the world simply by announcing the fight that's about to happen. His whole job was to prepare people for the main event that was about to take place. And this is similar to John's ministry. 
everything John did was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. John's role in the story of Jesus was to be a herald, announcing the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, and to prepare people's hearts through repentance. The main event was the arrival of Jesus. John only came to prepare everyone for him. And the story of the announcement of John, the, the forerunner to Jesus, begins with the situation of his parents, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Luke is a good historian. He, he starts by setting the historical and political context of the scene. This was during the reign of Herod the Great. And as I mentioned, this is a time of oppression for Israel. And during these difficult times, there was a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both were descendants of the priestly line of Aaron. They were both God-fearing people. They're distinguished by their godliness. Luke writes that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Of course, this doesn't mean that they were sinless, but that they had a right relationship with God, that they lived in outward conformity to the law. But this elderly couple who lived just outside Jerusalem had a mark of disappointment in their lives. Luke writes in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So this problem most likely was agonizing for them. Infertility can be stressful and disappointing in almost any culture throughout history. But in ancient Israel, it was a monumental burden that, that is incomparable to today. Beyond the questions and the remarks and the innate motherly desire for a baby, in ancient Hebrew culture, barrenness was considered disgraceful, even a punishment from God. So now Elizabeth is well beyond her childbearing years. So the assumption would be that she would die childless. But Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to serve the Lord, even through this severe disappointment. They continued to glorify God with their lives, living righteously. But living righteously as a servant of God, doesn't mean we won't suffer. The trials of this life can seem unbearable at times, especially for those living a godly life. But as for Elizabeth and Zechariah, God had other plans. God's grace arrived for them at a time that they would least expect it. And so then when Luke was done laying out this context, the, the story begins in the temple in Jerusalem in verse 6. Now, at this time, there was about 18,000 priests who served at the temple, and they were separated into 26 divisions. And they, each division had to serve for two weeks out of the year. And so this was during Zechariah's time of service during the temple, in the temple. And he was chosen by a lot for the special duty of burning incense in the temple. This was something a priest would do only once in his lifetime to offer incense in the holy place of the temple as a part of the preparation for the sacrificial offering. 
And it says the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so this is a special moment, a high time in Zechariah's career. And during this time, an angel appears to him. It says, starting in verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. So Zechariah, who was an elderly man, would have been a priest for a long time. And he had been praying for a child. And the answer to his prayer came suddenly. In a moment when he would have been focused on the Lord instead of himself, God graciously broke into his life and blessed him and his wife with a child. He, his childlessness is no more. Elizabeth's difficult life of barrenness has been transformed into the joy of having a child. And so this gives us our first gracious act of God. God's grace in unexpected blessings. God often acts in ways beyond our understanding. His ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. So even in our most difficult situations, God can bless us. When it comes to God's grace and blessings in our lives, it's fair to say expect the unexpected. The angel, who turns out to be Gabriel, tells Zechariah that his prayers have been answered. Some say that Zechariah was praying for a son because it says, Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call him John. The others believe that he was praying for the consolation of Israel. And the truth is that the birth of John the Baptist would be answering both of those prayers. John answers the prayers for a son but he also will be the herald for the coming Messiah. So Zechariah and Elizabeth will have joy and gladness themselves, but also many will rejoice at his birth. So Zechariah was probably excited simply that it was his turn to burn the incense. Then all of a sudden, what amazing news. Not only is this elderly man and his wife finally granted a child, but he will be great before the Lord. How amazing is it? That God not only bestows upon us blessings that we don't deserve, but that he does it in his way, instead of the way we would want them. And so you can pray for God to fulfill in your life, to unfold his blessings for you, to fulfill his will. Because God's will is for good. God's grace and blessings await us if we're willing to wait for him, to follow him wherever he leads us. And that doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty and suffering. Actually, difficulty and suffering are promised to us. But Zechariah and Elizabeth's lives were marked by suffering of childlessness for decades. But you can know that God works all things for good. And his grace comes to you often when you least expect it. And it may not come the way you want it to come but you can know that you are in the hands of God Almighty and that he is for you and that he is good. And so when it comes to God's grace and blessings in your life, you should expect the unexpected 
because his ways are beyond anything you could ever imagine or even understand. And so after telling Zechariah his wife will give birth to a son and that he will name him John and that he will be great before the Lord, the angel Gabriel tells us about John, starting in the middle of verse 15. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So there's a lot mentioned about John the Baptist here. Zechariah is told that John must not drink wine or strong drink, that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. So John will be committed to the Lord in avoiding wine and strong drink, but will be filled with the Holy Spirit instead. He's selected by God as his prophet who will prepare the way for the coming Lord. Zechariah's son will be used by God to bring about a revival among his people, preparing the way for the coming Messiah. Gabriel's language is almost quoting the prophet Malachi, who spoke that God would send a messenger who will prepare a way before him, before his messenger of the covenant, who who is the Messiah. God went on to say through the prophet Malachi that he would send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Zechariah would have immediately known this context. And this is why many will rejoice at the coming of John the Baptist. Because John is the promised prophet in the spirit of Elijah, who will prepare the way for the coming Messiah by turning the hearts of many of the people of Israel to God. John is the forerunner to the Christ. And since the forerunner was here, then the Christ was coming soon. John's whole ministry will be to proclaim the coming Messiah and to bring about the repentance in many of God's people. And this is our second gracious act of God in this passage. God's grace in repentance. God's grace comes to us in many ways. And one of them is the act of repentance. Repentance itself is an act of God's grace. There's the personal repentance of someone when an individual comes to God, which is an act of God's grace in the life of that individual. But the work of John is to bring about the repentance of many individuals. It's a revival among God's people. One interesting feature in the infancy narratives in Luke is the frequent activity Of the Holy Spirit. At this time, God had not sent a prophet to his people for 400 years. The prophet Malachi was 400 years before the birth of Christ, and he was the last one. And so, this prophecy of John's birth is coming at the end of 400 years of silence by God. But the Holy Spirit will now be with John from his birth. John will be a prophet raised up by God to bring about repentance in his people. It's by God's grace that anyone repents. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's by God's grace that a revival takes place among his people. 
And I think it's very clear that a revival is needed in the church today. Less and less people go to church anymore. Less and less people profess a faith in Jesus Christ. And even those that do so, they're becoming less and less active in their service of the Lord. Out of the few that claim to be Christians, even fewer are truly committed in their faith. But if this is going to change, it will be a revival by the grace of God. God is the one that brings about revivals. It's through the work of his Holy Spirit bringing about repentance in many people. And so this is something we should pray for, that God will grant repentance in the lives of individuals, those that we know and love and are witnessing to, neighbors, co-workers, friends, family, but also that God would bring about a revival in his church, that God would bring about the repentance in many people's hearts, that the church universal throughout the city of Philadelphia, throughout our state, throughout the country and the world, would see a great number of people turn to the Lord and that they would passionately and committedly serve him. May God in his grace grow his kingdom through the proclaiming of the word and the work of the Spirit in the hearts of the people who hear it. And so we've seen God's grace in unexpected blessings and in repentance, but the story of the announcement of John's birth is incomplete. Zechariah responds to Gabriel in verse 18. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Zechariah responds by doubting what he was just told. He had an angel appear to him, telling him not only that he will have a son, but his son will be the fulfillment of scripture. And this wasn't enough. He wanted something more, a sign. Zechariah was viewing this from a human perspective, an earthly perspective. He considered the fact that he and his wife were both elderly, but he didn't consider the power of God. Our circumstances and our problems are not beyond God's power. They don't hinder him. And if Zechariah knew the scriptures as he should have, he would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah and how she was in a similar situation, being old and childless. But God is a God of miracles. He's the creator of all things, and nothing is outside of his reach. God made Sarah pregnant at an old age as well, at an age where it would have been impossible from a human perspective. There's also divine interventions in the birth of Samson and Samuel. But Zechariah showed a lack of faith in the power of God. He already had a sign. He had an angel standing in front of him. He was in the midst of worshiping God in the temple, burning incense while everyone prayed outside, yet he still didn't believe Gabriel. And when you're focused on your circumstances or the problems in your life, you may end up rejecting the word of God or not trusting in his power. If you're only focused on how things can happen from a human perspective, you won't be focused on the power of God or trusting him with the results in your life or the results in the church. And so for Zechariah, God doesn't simply ignore his lack of faith. Gabriel immediately rebukes him. In verse 19, it says, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, 
you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So God has no patience for Zechariah's disbelief. As a priest in the temple who knows the scriptures, Zechariah should have trusted in God's word through the angel Gabriel. And since Zechariah didn't believe God's messenger, he rejected God's word, he doubted God's ability. And so now, because of this, God made him unable to speak. He couldn't tell people the good news he had just heard. God was disciplining Zechariah's unbelief. But this discipline was an act of grace. And this is our third act of grace in this passage. God's grace in disciplining his children. God's discipline of Zechariah was a grace because he was teaching him to trust in his word, to trust in the power of God. After being mute for several months and not being able to shout with joy, to tell all of his loved ones what he had seen in the temple, what the angel had told him about his son to be born and how great he would be before the Lord, Zechariah would probably never doubt God's word or his power again. The Lord disciplines his children out of love. Proverbs chapter 3 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. So when we fail to trust in God's word, to trust in his power, to trust in God's will, he may discipline us. But he does so because he loves us, because he wants us to learn and to grow like a loving father does for his son. And it's not that discipline would be enjoyable. After quoting that Proverbs 3 verse, in Hebrews 12 verse 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline is a grace God doesn't leave us where we are. He disciplines us so we'll continue to grow in our faith and trust in him. God uses discipline to correct our behavior and bring us to obedience. He wants us to be holy. And his discipline is a part of that process, a part of our sanctification, our growth in holiness. And God's discipline can come in a variety of ways, from our awareness of our sin and our guilt, to letting us suffer the earthly consequences of our sin. But however he does it, God is focused on our maturity. He's working through every possible means to present us mature in Christ. And that's why his discipline is a grace, because he does so out of love. He does so out of his desire to make us into the image of Christ. And so after God makes Zechariah mute, The people were outside waiting for him to come out of the temple. It says, starting in verse 21, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And so Zechariah finally comes out of the temple and he's unable to speak and everyone knew that he had seen a a vision and he kept making signs to them and he probably got tired of all their questions and once his time of service was up 
he went home. Then Luke fast forwards. Elizabeth conceived as God told Zechariah would happen, but she kept it hidden for five months. And then in verse 25 she said, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Elizabeth is no longer a woman who would feel shame because of her childlessness. She no longer has reproach among people. All these years she was without a child, shamed by people. She remained faithful to the Lord. And now God looked upon her with grace and she responded in faith once again. When she realized she was pregnant, she stayed home and rested, and she worshipped God for his grace upon her by giving her a child. So in Zechariah, we have an example of what not to do. We shouldn't doubt God's word or his power. In Elizabeth, we have a great example of faith. When God answers our prayers, we, we should respond with praise and worship. Because this is what God wants from us. He wants our faith. He wants our trust in his word, our trust in him. He wants our holiness. God's word tells you that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you believe it. God's word tells you that Jesus will return and there will be a future resurrection, and you believe it. So you must continue to study God's word so that you know what it says, and then you must believe it. You must trust in God's power to do what he says he will do. Trust in God's goodness that being obedient is what is best for you. Trust in God's will for your life because what he can do in his infinite power is greater than anything that can be done from an earthly perspective. So you can trust in the power of God who in his grace sent his son to die for you. You can trust in the power of God who will bring about everything he has promised. The same God who speaks spoke the universe into existence. The God whom the heavens declare his glory. You can trust in the power of God who chose you before the foundation of the world. You can trust in the power of God who declares abject, rebellious sinners like you and I, righteous in his sight by the blood of his Son. And you can trust in the power of God who redeemed you from the powers of sin and death. Trust in the power of God who will bring you one day into ultimate glory for eternity. And you can trust that Jesus will return with absolute certainty as we await the glorious second coming of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we only come as your people in your grace. We worship you in your grace. We praise you and we pray to you in your grace. It's your grace that bought us from sin and death. It's your grace that adopted us as your children. May we wait on you patiently, knowing that your grace will come in ways that we could never expect. That we know that your grace not only saves us and redeems us, but brings us into glory. Lord, may we patiently endure any discipline or struggles in our life, knowing that you are refining us, that you are making us more holy, that everything you do for us is in your grace. 
And may we patiently wait for the second coming of your Son, who will return in judgment and glory and will make all things new. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.